Well, good morning. We, we all have fears of some sorts, and I'm not going to make anybody say anything because it's probably the things that you're going, I really don't want my neighbor, whoever's sitting beside you, to know these fears because there are some deep-seated things in our lives that we're like, I don't want anybody to know this because it holds a lot of power in my life. But one of the greatest fears that we probably all share in common is the fear of rejection. Um, th- this is a fear that I think most people have, and it can keep us from doing a lot of things. First of all, it can, it can stop you from even meeting people. So even as we have greeting time and whatever, you're like, I'm not sure if I want to, to meet other people or step out and like meet somebody new because what if they don't like me? What, what if we're, I just, I know we're not going to get along, so I, I probably just won't even introduce myself. And we can cut ourselves short. It could be that we think there, there's a dream job that's like we got the opening for it and you're like, man, I would just this would be the thing I'd love, the position I'd love to be in, but I just, I don't know if I can get it. And so we, we could just think, instead of even putting in for the job to not get rejected, we can just think, I, I just won't do it at all. And then I don't have to face rejection. It, I, I, I don't know, has anybody ever worked in telemarketing? R- really? That's fascinating. You must love rejection. I'm or, or, or you've learned to grow through it. It's kind of like when you, when you say, I want to grow in patience, you're like, never pray for patience because there's opportunity for patience then. If you have the fear of rejection and you say, God, help me to get over this fear, he puts you in telemarketing. Because um, it's like, you just, fit, I mean, every time you get the phone call, it's like potential spam. You're like, oh, it's my car's warranty again. And you're like, I'm... Like, to, to be the person on the other side of that that's facing that rejection over and over again would be a tough one. For a little while in college, I joined our admissions team. They had students that would join on and, like, make the cold calls to other potential students um, to, like, help recruit. And so here I am making all these phone calls. And, like, every time you're just like, if they don't show interest, like, I failed. So every time you're calling, you're looking for just, just even show some interest, even if, you, if it's not true. I need you just to tell me you're interested. Because I, I didn't want to face rejection or, or to have them turn me down. But I think within each and every one of us is this longing for acceptance. We, we want to be, find the place that we belong, that we fit in, that we're a part of something greater. And so with that longing, I think... We, we face that, that hard spot where it's like, am I going to push through to find this place of acceptance, or am I going to shrink back and avoid the re- possible rejection, um, but then never really truly find a place to be accepted? As we continue in our series uh, in preparation for Easter, and this is called Broken, we're looking kind of at the last couple chapters in Luke, and we're still in Luke chapter 22, so if you want to open that in your Bible, if you have your Bible app or whatever you're using, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, um, and we're going to be looking at, at this section, and really this section is kind of labeled the rejected Savior, because time and time again, Jesus is facing rejection after rejection after rejection, and it's like everywhere he turns, it's just rejection. And so I, I guess I kind of want to ask this question, is there such a thing as redeemed rejection? Is it possible that, that rejection that we face could actually lead to blessing? So today as we examine this rejected Savior, we want to see is it possible for rejection to be redeemed. So before we do that, let's pray. 
God, I thank you for the time that we get to spend together. And I thank you for your word that we can hold in our hands. And God, I thank you for Jesus. God, help us to learn through what we read today about Jesus and how he lived. And that we would live our lives more boldly because of his example. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, David walked us through really Jesus implementing the Lord's Supper. And so we looked at that at the beginning of Luke 22. And really, this should have been like this huge, great moment that the disciples got to sit there and be with him for the first time to see that this perfect lamb was going to be sacrificed, that Jesus had been kind of hinting toward this and talking about this, and that he was going to take on this terrible, terrible punishment so that we would then be passed over so that we wouldn't have to receive that punishment for ourselves. So this should have been kind of this, this glimpse of, of hope or, or understanding of what Jesus is talking about, but instead things start to fall apart. It's, it's told that Judas is going to, or somebody is going to betray, which we later find out is Judas, and then the disciples kind of get into this, this argument of who, what's the pecking order? Like we want to know, basically Jesus laid out for us, who's your favorite? and who's number 12. Like, they want to know what's, what's the lineup. And so, it's like, everything starts to fall apart from what should have been a great, a great moment together. And then by the end of the meal, Judas has left to go and betray Jesus, to put this betrayal in motion, and the others are fighting for that pecking order. And so, that's where we're picking this up in uh, Luke 22, in starting in verse 39, and this very first part is all about Jesus' request that he makes to God is rejected by the Father. So we're going to start reading there in verse 39. It said that when Jesus came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, the disciples were following him, and, and when he came to this place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said, why are you sleeping Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus meets the disciples here. He goes to the Mount of Olives, and this is a rhythm that he had put into his life fairly regularly to pray in this place. And really it was to kind of help refocus him on the mission, to, to step away from some of the busyness, the craziness of things, and to refocus himself. And he would take the disciples with him and kind of encourage them to do the same, to, to refocus, to, to Remind themselves of what you're here for and that you may not fall into temptation to stray from the plan. And see, Jesus had been coming here knowing what was going to be happening soon. And maybe the disciples didn't fully comprehend what all was about to happen and what it was honestly going to be looking like, but he reminds them to pray that you don't fall into temptation. But I love that Jesus' heart here, even through all this rejection, I see Jesus having such a compassionate heart. And, and really his, his compassion toward the disciples, even though he, he knows that they're not going to stand firm, they're not going to stay by his side, he still shows them compassion to, to continue to pray that they don't fall into temptation. But then as we read down to verse 42, 
We see Jesus in this point of agony, and he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This, this point of agony is such a strange thing, because I think I always imagine Jesus just so powerful and in charge. And, and at this point, we really see him with the, just the human pain and agony and everything that he's going to go through. He, like, he understands what's coming. He knows the sacrifice that he's going to make. And at this point, he, he's just going through, through all of it, understanding what's coming, so much so that this angel has to come and strengthen him. But I think we have to understand Jesus is 100% human. Like, pain actually hurts. And so he is going to feel every bit of what's about to come, the pain and humiliation. He knows he has to face it all. He's going to endure that. So then he asks for this, this cup to be removed, and this cup really is, is this wrathful, fearful, awful drink that he's going to have to take in. And it's kind of like Jesus doesn't know how, how do you take on this wrath and filth because he is so pure, so clean, how is he going to take that on? And so Jesus makes this request to God that, that if there's any other way, any other method or plan, anything, if there's another way, can we do that plan, please? But then I, I love that he doesn't just leave it there and kind of demand that, but he says, if it's possible, let's put that plan into motion, but nevertheless, no matter what, not my will, but yours be done. As much as Jesus knew that this was going to be painful and awful to face the cross, he knew that it was worth it. It was, the, it was his plan to save us all along. So I think we can face painful things and even fear some of that rejection, but my hope would be that when we face it, we can look at Jesus' example here and we can face it with a way that we can use these words, not my will, but yours be done. I can dread doing some things, knowing what's to come, but I should always take my will and put it aside to set God's desires and let him take control of my will to put his plan and his purpose into place. So like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that we want God's will the things that God wants to do that's already happening in heaven, we want it to be happening here on earth just as much. So I had this, this question that popped up in here. Was Jesus' prayer heard? Because I think we can pray a lot of prayers and we can kind of get answers from, from God that we think maybe God's just not even listening. So when Jesus prays his prayer and he says, God, if there's any other way, and it can feel like silence. So is, is Jesus' prayer heard here? Yes, he is heard, but God heard these words, but the truth remained the same. If we are going to be saved, if this debt that has to be paid is going to be paid, there's only one way that that happens, and it's only through the perfect lamb. And so Jesus was heard, but the request for this pain to be removed and, and to avoid the rejection it was a no. So please know that when, when we ask God things and we feel like God is rejecting us or he's telling us no or ignoring us, God's not abandoning us in these moments. 
He is with us in every one of them, even though it may be a hard and painful thing. He's with us. You see that God sends this angel to strengthen Jesus during this time because he cares so deeply. So Jesus kind of wraps up this time. He walks back to the disciples, and there's a crowd approaching. And as if this kind of that, his request being rejected wasn't enough, we see G- Judas coming in, and Jesus is rejected by Judas. So it says that while he was still speaking, there came this crowd, and the man Judas was one of the twelve. He was leading them. And he drew near to kiss Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? See, Judas was left in the upper room. He was partaking of the Last Supper. He was there with Jesus the whole time. He had been walking with Jesus for years. But for 30 pieces of silver, Judas goes to betray him. So Judas comes in leading this crowd, and he comes in to give Jesus this kiss. And it's really this, is, this kiss is supposed to be the way that you greet those that are you're closest to. Jesus was a part of this, this 12, the Jesus group that he always traveled with and he taught. Judas was one of those that he allowed to have some of those most intimate conversations, the closest of relationships that, that he had had. And so this kiss was, was from a friend, a friend that he'd been walking with for three years, so Judas comes in with this sign of closeness that's supposed to show friendship, and he uses it for betrayal. So even though Jesus had been turned over to be arrested, to eventually be put to death, Jesus responds to this rejection to Judas by saying, do you betray me with a kiss? And, and I think, again, this is such a gentle way of, he's not just trying to point out what he's doing, but he's trying to get to his heart. Are you really coming to me with the sign of closeness? to then turn me aside, to reject me. He's trying to get to his heart because I think there really is, Jesus cares for, for all and he wants to save everyone, but he doesn't come with harshness. He comes kind of at this moment of gentleness and love. So then if that's not enough to have one of his inner 12 reject him, one of the closest three that Jesus has, Jesus is rejected then by Peter. So Peter is actually in the garden there as well when Judas comes to arrest him and, and to lead that, that group of people. And Peter wants to stand and, and to, to fight. He said, I'm never going to betray you. I'm never going to reject you. I'm going to be there to the end. And he's ready to fight. But Jesus puts an end to it. But as soon as Jesus is arrested, as soon as this big moment of arresting is, is, is over, we see the disciples just scatter. They stay within eyeshot to kind of see at least what's happening. They want to understand what's going on. But Peter was so adamantly saying that he was going to die before betraying Jesus. And now we see him kind of hiding in the shadows, just hoping not to be seen or pulled, pulled in and, and killed as well. And so while hiding, Peter has these moments when three people notice him. That they recognize him for who he is, and they kind of call him out, and we see him also reject Jesus. So we're going to pick up then in verse 54. It says that they seized Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter, he was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down, Peter sat among them. And then a servant girl, 
seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him. I said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little, little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So Peter was, was sure that there was no way that he would ever leave Jesus or, or ever turn from his side, but he fled. And even in some of the most non-threatening conversations or the, when you have just even a servant girl approach to say, I think that you're also one of his, he denies ever being a part of Jesus' followers. He, he denies Jesus twice, and then there's even some time that passes, almost to like clear his mind and to refocus him on, on what are you really doing? What are the decisions you're making? And again, he's sitting there and they recognize him. And he denies Jesus the third time. And when that rooster crows, I think that, that Peter's heart must have sunk knowing what he had just done. He had rejected Jesus, denied Jesus, and he looks up to meet Jesus eye, eye to eye. They make eye contact. And this, this has to be like, this breaks my heart to know that your closest friend, you've been one of the people that's been closest to Jesus, and yet you did exactly what he predicted. You had rejected Jesus. It says then that Peter's heart kind of sank, and he, he went, turned aside, and he weeps bitterly. So I think Jesus is, has kind of experienced this rejection after rejection by even his closest people, and then it seems to just widen out to the rejection that he faces by then mockers. So Jesus is in the hands of those that are, have arrested him and that are going to put him through trial. And it says that the men that were holding Jesus in custody, they were mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and they kept asking him, prophesy, who is it then that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. They're, they're, they're mocking him, saying, if you really are God, then surely you're going to know, even blindfolded, who's hitting you? Let, let us know. They've, they've turned this awful, awful moment into a game, into, into mocking him. And so Jesus seems to be alone with none of his disciples, nobody to be by his side. And it just continues this rejection after rejection. To then this final moment when Jesus is rejected by the priests. And we're going to continue reading it in verses 66. But Jesus is sitting here before the council of elders, the chief priests. These are all of the, the religious spiritual leaders that should have been the ones that they wanted to see truth and justice put on display. They're supposed to be setting the standard, the moral standard for people to be living by, and yet they're not. So it says, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both the chief priests, the scribes, they led Jesus away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you won't believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so they said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. 
Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it for ourselves from his own lips. I think the priests, they were just waiting for a moment to, to, to jump in, to pounce, to catch Jesus in any word. They were just wanting to put this kind of stamp of, 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 of a final guilty verdict on Jesus. They've been waiting to catch him all along. And so they just ask him plainly, tell us if you're the Christ. And they're the ones that have been in the synagogues as Jesus has gone to, to preach and to teach. And, and they've been confronting Jesus all along, asking him questions, trying to, to trick him and, and catch him in any of his words. And it didn't matter what Jesus was going to claim to be or not to be. They, didn't, they, they were not actually looking for truth at this point. They were just looking to get that guilty sentence over him. They had arrested him in the cover of night, showing this isn't something that they're truly giving him a, a true trial of any, any, of, any, of any kind. They're just wanting to finalize the dispute that they have with this man that was upsetting all of their own plans. So Jesus knew that there was no answer that would be acceptable to them. And so he kind of let their own words speak for themselves, saying, you say that I am. And so Jesus faced rejection again. And there's this just rejection after rejection, but I think all of it had a purpose. See, the plans of the Father, even when Jesus prayed for that request for this to pass over, the pain and the wrath that Jesus would have to face, even that was not enough to deter him from giving himself for us. The, the betrayal of even one of his own with a sign of affection, with a kiss, even that rejection was not enough to stop Jesus' compassionate heart to see those in need of love and saving. Even the denial of one of his closest friends that, to say that he never even knew him, even that was not enough for, for Jesus' eyes to keep seeking the task ahead, no matter how torturous that might be. The crowds that mocked him and they, they beat our Savior. They couldn't change the heart of the one who wanted to give himself for us and even for them. And then the unbelieving priests, they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't believe Jesus. But Jesus was never going to deny who he was. The only one who could take on the sins of the world. So Jesus faced so much rejection and agony, but he was willing to, to do God's will. He was willing to be utterly rejected by everyone, knowing that this rejection was leading him to the cross. But that was the only way for sinners like us, like you and I, that we are unable to pay our own debts, but that we were going to have to face God someday. And if we were, un if we were unable to pay that, somebody else is going to have to pay it for us. Because the wages of sin is death. And each one of us have earned that for our own sins. And only the perfect sacrifice would be able to take our place. So knowing that, Jesus is willing to take on our sin, our shame, pay our price, allowing us to live our lives covered in Christ. So that we, and it's only because of Jesus' complete rejection, can then we stand before God, be able to be received with complete acceptance. So on our own, I know we've used this analogy quite a few times over the last couple of weeks. It's, it's like this, the lamb that was being sacrificed, but it was, it was a lame and injured, insufficient sacrifice. That's what we look like 
when we come to God to sacrifice for ourselves. But Jesus knew that he was the only way. He was the only perfect living sacrifice. But he was going to be rejected, be rejected by men, but yet accepted by God as our sacrifice for us so that we could be accepted, welcomed, welcomed into the kingdom of God and clothed in Christ. So I think it's easy for us to, to fear rejection, to, to want to run away from it. And I don't know that I've ever been able to say this before, that I'm thankful for rejection. I'm thankful that Jesus would receive constant rejection. He was willing to face it, knowing that the purpose of it all was to ultimately lead to this complete acceptance through his sacrifice. So it's only through Jesus' rejection that we as sinners get to, get to experience that through faith that we can experience complete acceptance. And I'd look at this and say that this rejection was redeemed. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are willing to send Jesus and that he'd be willing to take on all of our sin and shame and our rejection that was due for us. But he endured every bit of it, knowing that we were worth it because you love us so much. God, help us to turn to you. Help us to be willing to, to lay ourselves aside, to sacrifice our own lives, to be able to live for you because you gave yourself for us. God, help us to turn our hearts toward you. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.